0: Olive Branch podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anwar Mahajni. In this podcast, I interview activists with ties to Israel and Palestine who identify as peace activists and are working on ending Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories. Today, I interview Shaked Murag, a seasoned political social activist. She now serves as the executive director of Peace Now. Shaked, thank you very much for agreeing to be interviewed uh, for the podcast. I've read so much about you, I've heard so much about you from multiple people. And uh, it's just, it's very exciting that I get to talk to you in person. I was wondering if we maybe could start out by telling us a little bit more uh, about your work with Peace Now and why do you think it's an important type of
1: work to be done? I've been with Peace Now uh, three and a half years by now. And it's a huge opportunity for me because uh, before that, I did uh, do some uh, activism in grassroots movements and also in the parliament. But uh, I think that the most burning issue that Israel must solve and, and deal with is uh, the occupation and uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and all that uh, comes out of it. And peace now is a place where this is our daily challenge and I find it very um, both interesting and motivating. So uh, I'm very happy (laughs) to be there and to do that uh, as as my uh, main focus in life.
0: I think I really appreciate the work that Peace Now does. And then, of course, I appreciated you talking about being a social activist and a political activist, and you walked in, you know, into the parliament, and then you worked in different settings. I was wondering if you could tell us about the differences of occupying like a political space versus occupying the social space for activism. And of course, they're not completely disconnected, right? But they all come with certain challenges, limitations, as well as possibilities.
1: That's correct. Uh, when I was in the political sphere, I, I, I was a political and, and, and parliamentary advisor for a parliament member named Michal Rozin and she was back then uh, in the opposition. So we had this uh, parliamentary toolbox we could use uh, in order to make it harder for the government to promote a right-wing agenda and annexationist uh, policy but still we were in opposition and it was mainly raising the voice and i must say that in the um, civil sphere in a way the toolbox is much more diverse and big uh, in terms of what you can do in order to raise that voice i mean if that's what you mainly do. So in peace now I can organize big demonstrations, I can recruit much more uh, volunteers and public attention and public activity. And at the same time I can try and uh, promote the issues in the political um, spheres. And not to mention that now those uh, representatives who supposedly are our allies, are uh, part of them are in the coalition and have a different toolbox uh, and they can use to to both prevent annexation and promote a more pro-peace agenda uh, but still they wouldn't do it i think if they if there wasn't a big base out there pressuring them to do it so we are the base we uh, are uh, in charge of putting that pressure on the politicians in whatever way possible uh, in order to push them forward to, to 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 change policies so it's very i mean it's even fun in a way
0: and i i do I, when you were talking about the people in the coalition the coalition who are supposedly you know allies i don't know I kept thinking of Mansour Abbas and his party because in theory they should be allies or at least they had positions early on but now with the coalition things are getting really I mean weird is one word for it
1: <laughs> confusing <laughs> they are weird and confusing I can tell you I don't know if you're updated but last night there was a vote in the parliament in the Knesset Mm-hmm. An issue, the topic was the illegality of settlements and uh, the need to stop uh, settler's violence and to stop uh, legalization of illegal outposts. And uh, it came from the joint list from the opposition and they managed to embarrass the left-wing uh, parties in the go- in the government, in the coalition that had to, I guess, uh, vote against it, but there was one party, one faction that did vote with the opposition on this, and it was Mansour Abbas's faction. So, I, <laughs> in in many ways, they disappoint us. In other ways, they are uh, they they continue proving to be allies. And mm-hmm. it changes sometimes. It's this list, and sometimes it's merits, and yeah, you cannot tell ahead. And, and some of these votes are symbolic and don't make any change, but they do remind us that those people share our vision. And um, and I hope that when it comes to more crucial uh, votes and uh, changes, they take the right position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mansour Abbas has
0: been interesting. Cause he's been critiqued, you know, over the statement where he said, um, you know, with uh, he was interviewed by Muhammad, what's his name Makalde, I think. Yeah, from Radio Nas, He also works for uh, um, N12, I think. I can't remember. But he said, you know, Israel was founded as a Jewish state, and like a lot of people viewed that as an acknowledgement that. Mansour Abbas just gave up and he's accepting oppression and accepting being a second class citizen and he's operating from that position. But then there are instances where you see that he's achieving things that other parties couldn't achieve. So it's kind of... (laughs) I'm still not clear on the strategy, but you are right that uh, you know sometimes it's hard to anticipate who's going to fully vote for or against bills that support social activists on the ground, specifically mm-hmm. activists who are fighting, you know, f- to promote justice and end the occupation. And I'm sure it's a tough position to be.
1: <laughs> I don't envy those politicians who need to be in the coalition and and act together with with some quite extreme right. Members on the same coalition. I guess they need to swallow many, many frogs.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> um, I'm actually interested in your personal journey towards, you know, working with peace now as a Jewish Israeli. And I keep saying that to all of the people that I interview. You know, it's not not taken for granted for you to understand. First of all, to use the word occupation you know, to describe reality on the ground, but you used it comfortably, like, yes, it is an occupation, right? There's something that needs to be done. But it's not a common view in Israel, especially among, you know, the the younger population. So how did you come to, you know, understanding the conflict from that positionality? You know, there are power structures that are put in place to undermine one community and promote another community. And, you know, finding that you have to work toward resolving that issue.
1: You're quite right. The word occupation is not being used uh, uh, normally in uh, the Israeli conversation. And personally, I can tell you that the point in the, in time when I realized that occupation existed was when I lived in Jerusalem. I moved to Jerusalem about... Um, 13 years ago, when I started my BA in the Hebrew University. And uh, back then, 2008-2009, there was, the Sheikh Jarrah issue was burning uh, a bit like now. There were uh, weekly demonstrations, and uh, going to those protests and getting explained why? 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 How comes that those families uh, were under risk of eviction? And that's that's the, that was the first time I think that I it was brought to my mind that there was a different set of rules for me and for my neighbors in Jerusalem. Like Sherjeh neighborhood is part of Jerusalem because it was annexed to Israel, but its inhabitants aren't citizens of Israel, and the law applies to them differently. And under this discriminative law, it's possible to evict them from their homes only because they used to be a Jewish owner to those houses before '48. Uh, so, and and this is only one example of of the differences between non-citizens and citizens of Israel who share the same space and the same authorities uh, that govern them uh, in Jerusalem outside of Jerusalem of course it's even uh, more um, the 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 gap is bigger so i think that was the first time i i realized that we're dealing not with a conflict like a symmetric one we're dealing with a, a non-balanced relation of powers uh with an occupier and and then occupied people and Jerusalem as the microcosm of this situation was very it, it helped uh, realize that and that led me to to ask questions of the the bigger picture the West Bank Gaza Strip to understand that the people who live there are not just like other uh let's say countries that israel had wars with that's what usually jewish uh, israelis are told like we israel uh, is in conflict with the arab world there was egypt that we already signed the peace treaty with and there is syria that we didn't sign and there there are the palestinians and no one tells you that, that the palestinians aren't a sovereign state like the others around it and 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 that's for me the first meaning of occupation so yes most israelis and especially the younger generation aren't aware of it and whenever i come to talk with younger students in high schools in uh, even university they have to explain that uh, just to get the to, to to set the ground for a more complex discussion of what sort of a solution we'd like to see to the situation
0: I'm sure you shock them when you use the word. I mean, do you kind of use specific methods or do you have a, a certain way to explain it to young, you know, high schoolers who still haven't gotten to the military yet about, like, you know, why these terms are important and why is it important to name things the way they are?
1: It varies uh, between audiences. For example, I um, spoke. A couple of weeks ago, I I was invited to speak with an orthodox boys high school, senior graders, and uh, naturally many of them are very right-wing and pro-settlements. And um, although this is the situation, this is the political stand of the school, the teachers thought it was important for them to, to hear me. And in that situation, it was uh, much more important for me to to find some bridge that I can build between us and, uh, and less I mean I, I, my my point wasn't to declare that there's an occupation, but to uh, to agree that peace can be achieved and that it's okay to settle. Uh, with your enemies instead of fight them aggressively, like it was much more um, basic talk. And they did use the word occupation, but it wasn't the main issue. The main issue was: Do you want to spend the rest of your life fighting and also um, pass it forward to the next generations? This uh, this destiny, or do you want to think of alternatives and For that, the other side needs to get its uh, sovereign state on the occupied territories. So this was my framing. In other places, I sometimes open the map and show the reality in the West Bank, because that's another thing that most Israelis aren't aware of, Mm -hmm. that uh, among three million Palestinians deprived of civil rights, there live less than half a million Israeli settlers that are mostly spread along the Green Line. I mean, in settlements that can be part of land swaps and don't really pose a threat to a Palestinian future state in the 67 um, lines uh, with land swaps. So I I focus more on showing that this solution can be done, needs to be done and we cannot put up with uh, the occupation as a permanent status quo because once it's permanent it's not it's, a, it's not occupation anymore it becomes apartheid mm-hmm. so this is another way to to wrap occupation in a way that people can digest it and ask themselves if this is the situation they choose to live in As Israeli citizens. And in other forums, we talk about Palestinians suffer because of occupation and the violation of human rights under the occupation. But I must tell you that there are other organizations that are not Peace Now that do it better, that focus on that. Peace Now focuses on the solution and less on the violation of human rights in the meantime or or like right now we relate to it but uh, our main focus is okay this exists and now how can we change it and then we talk about the threat that settlement pose the the those that are deeper inside the territories and the tenders and illegal outposts that are promoted in order to catch more and more land and uh, actually serve as, as vehicles for de facto annexation and, and the chain, permanent change that will uh, make the occupation eternal and therefore apartheid.
0: And I think it's interesting when you talk about you know that piece now doesn't mainly focus on human rights violations, but they're also focusing on you know like the final solution to the issue and i was interested in that when you said that you talk about land swap as one of the options and you know i'm from omel faham so omel faham has been uh, the triangle area in general has been always like talked about by people like what's his name uh, avigador liverman and others that it's a, a town Donald like, Trump. Donald Trump too, with his peace plan. So I was wondering, like, how do you talk to them also about Arab citizens inside and are they included in that discussion?
1: First, I must make it clear that when I talk about land swaps, I don't talk about the triangle. I don't talk about transferring any Israeli citizens outside of Israeli borders. And I, and peace now opposed Trump's plan and the Victor Lieberman's ideas very firmly. When we talk about land swaps, we talk to, we talk about unsettled land, mainly around Gaza Strip, and also south of uh, Hebron and other places uh, that that appear, for example, in the Geneva Initiative maps. And and there, there was like one proposal of of potential land swaps. And uh, never uh, like transferring Israelis outside of Israel is not part of a nice solution. And when we shift to talk about the situation of the Israeli Palestinians, uh, yes, I think that if we look at democracy as the leading value that we fight on actually when i say no to occupation and no to apartheid i say yes to democracy of course we cannot put up with discrimination and with violation of uh, rights of citizens of israel for example nation state law when i started working in peace now it was about uh, one month before the nation state law was passed and uh, Peace Now uh, was one of the leading forces protesting against it, including we went to the Knesset and we, uh, during the um, the discussions that uh, preceded the vote on the law, we uh, opened the big black flag in the hall of, uh, um, how is it called? The hall of, of, uh, um. of the parliament. And uh, we were kicked out by the guards, but <laughs> but we did uh, demonstrate with that big, huge black flag. We also demonstrated in the streets, and uh, as we produced big uh, signs, black signs, to uh, hang from the windows of the houses, saying, I'm ashamed of the nation state law, in Hebrew and in Arabic, uh, because I think, a state that wants to be democratic cannot include such a law in its in its book of laws. Uh, you cannot uh, formally discriminate any group uh, based on any aspect of its identity, including its national identity. So this is a very clear value for us.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to clarify these things because I am... Um... You know, I know people from J Street, and I'm in the U.S. now. And a lot of, like, when I ask them this question, "What does J Street think of you know Palestinians in Israel?" and it seems like they don't have an official position. And the, what they said is like it's an internal issue, and <laughs> like it's not separate from the whole, you know, the struggle, right? <laughs> the Palestinian struggle in general, but also like uh, the core fight over what it, Israel is and what it should look like right so it's it's very important at least to me to kind of define these terms and kind of also discuss the implications of any you know final plan um, on everybody everybody included within israel and outside and of course in the west bank and gaza and i appreciate you clarifying all of that i'm very interested in knowing so you talked about your, your, how when you went to Jerusalem, that's when you started becoming aware of the Sheikh Jarrah issue and the different laws that exist. So how did you go from sayer, right, from that one incident or maybe one incident, change of location, to making that a life career, you know, like that's something that you're working on, have been working on for years now?
1: Yes. So during my uh, BA uh, in Jerusalem, I joined an organization named Ma'apach Targir, which is a Jewish-Palestinian feminist organization that uh, is active in Israel and um, works in disprivileged communities, both Arab and Jewish. And I was in charge of the community in Jerusalem, where uh, we Mainly dealt with educational gaps and social gaps in Jerusalem, but the partnership with fellow coordinators that worked in the Arab uh, communities and employing or or, um, recruiting Arab students to this community that uh, was based on on students that led this uh, activity in the neighborhood with mothers in the neighborhood. It was very important to me both to go with them and learn the situation on the other side of Jerusalem. We, we Our activity was only in West Jerusalem, but we also went to see what happens in East Jerusalem, uh, which includes not only evictions like in Sheikh Jarrah, but also house demolitions, and also very bad um, municipal service and lack of infrastructure, and of course, the wall. So it was an opportunity to open the eyes a bit more and talk about the implications of, of this, uh, of the occupation of the, of the situation in East Jerusalem. And also to see the interaction between Arab students and Jewish families in the community and understand that the differences are they're not just based on majority minority relationship inside Israel but they interact with the situation uh, in the West Bank it's implied in every in every interaction when uh, the word uh, terrorist is used against Israeli citizens uh, it it takes its meaning from what happens with the entire Palestinian people, not only with Israeli citizens. So you cannot actually cut one issue from the other. And it kept uh, uh, occupying my mind when I further on uh, moved to work in the Knesset. And I realized that we have an Israeli House of Representatives that represent only uh, the voters that uh, hold Israeli citizenship, but in a way, uh, determines the, um, the the way of life for the or everybody who lives between the Mediterranean and the and the and Jordan River, and and they cannot do much about it because all the important political decisions regarding the occupation are taken in, in the cabinet. And I think that's what led me outside of the um, parliament to this civil organization sphere where you can speak and talk on the issue regardless of the structure of power that defines what can and can't be dealt with in the Israeli parliament. That's in general, like my, my, my way of thinking that led me to to act from where I am now. Although, as I said, now in coalition, there is the Ministry of Security. Can I be in a better position to make a change there or in the Ministry of Law where, where the important decisions are promoted? Maybe, maybe this will be the next station.
0: So I, when we were talking about your activism and your work and your journey, I was thinking, I interviewed activists who said that they're very cautious about using the term peace, right? And they now prefer to use the term justice because they think peace has been used as a way to pacify one side. I was wondering what you think about that. And then how do you define you know, peace activism for you, considering that you work for peace now, right? (laughs) The word peace is in the name of the organization.
1: The name of of the organization is a brand. It's very useful. And I think it also symbolizes a lot for many people. They, like, peace is a value that under which, it's an umbrella that under which, the majority of the Israeli public can can stand so it's an advantage in a way as I told you before when I went to speak with the people that are supposed to be my opponents, I use the word peace because this is where they can listen when I talk about justice we have different concepts of justice but when we talk about peace it's very clear that we talk about a way of life in which there is no violence, and it's not what happens at the moment. When you talk about justice, it depends what your opinion is. Another term I use a lot, and I also spoke about it, is, is democracy. I think that when we use justice, it's we we do use this term, but we do it more in specific and concrete struggles, such as is Jerusalem that became actually relevant again, and Silouan, that uh, suffers from the same problem, we use their justice. Because obviously what happens there is injustice, regardless of whether there will be, won't be, is or isn't peace. But those are just terms in, that are used in order to, to convince people to support the cause. So, in my opinion it doesn't matter whatever is effective let's use it
0: i like how you're very strategic in the framing you like it's the issue is that it's still the same our goal is still the same but then how can we try to change hearts and minds and try to achieve our goal exactly uh, regardless of the term that we use and i was wondering if you could define kind of what is you know, if you we say peace and it's the ideal word, you know, and it, when people use peace is a good term. how How do you define a peaceful resolution or how do you define peace activism in general?
1: I don't really believe you can detach peace from justice. And I think that as long as people suffer and experience injustice, that is targeted towards them, there won't be peace because Mm -hmm. people will continue to uprise against injustices. So I I don't really see a difference between the two. So a peaceful situation is one that under which uh, everybody feels that their rights are fully given to them and they can fulfill their identity, and to live dignified and respectful life. Uh, this is the peaceful solution. Mm-hmm. All the rest is, as you said, is, is strategic. What solution I think will be most pragmatic? I said the uh, two-state solution uh, in the 67 borders with land swaps and two capitals in Jerusalem. I'm not naive. I don't think that once an agreement such as agreement is signed, the next day, everybody will be cheerful and and, uh, calm. But I think this is the basic condition under which peaceful life can be achieved. Mm
0: -hmm. Now. I want us to see you kind of defined your ideals, your strategies. We talked a little bit about your educational background, your work in the to your work with Peace Now and other organizations. But all of this comes at a cost. <laughs> and I'm curious about the challenges that you faced and are facing doing the work that you do. So maybe personal challenges at the family level and also more challenges, you know, kind of. Implementing the work that you do in a society that again needs a lot of work, right? Toward understanding what justice looks like.
1: Yes, I I can tell you that activism in general can be exhausting. Uh, In a way, I'm privileged to be paid for it, but I mean, I chose a path of career that my activism is my day job. So, in a way, I'm a very privileged activist and you can compare me with other activists who have their, let's say, normal day job and then they, in their free time, join us for demonstrations and and other stuff, so I appreciate them uh, a lot for that. Uh, But on the other hand, it's not like saying day job is also uh, misleading because... It's day and night and weekend, and it occupies my mind not only during working hours. This is the nature of, of political work, and uh, I must say, uh, this is it feels for me quite natural to be fully invested in what I do and to work in what I believe in. I can tell you that when I was younger, I worked for some just uh, in, in the private sector for a, a company. And I found myself working extra hours, not knowing why. <laughs> uh, just because things needed to be done. So I stayed longer in the office. And then uh, one day, even my manager asked me, why do you stay extra hours? We, we don't pay for that. And then I said, because things needed to be done. And, and then I thought with myself and I decided that if I am this, Kind of worker, so I need to work in something that I really want to promote, and not just the profit of my boss. So this is what brought me to choose political career, let's say, uh, not becoming a politician, by the way, but but being an activist as a main field in my life. And another, uh, let's say, sacrifice is. Um, In Israel, the air can be uh, poisoned with delegitimization and incitements, and sometimes they get very ugly uh, reactions on uh, new media, social media. And uh, this is another thing you just have to get uh, immune from. And I think I'm quite immune by now.
0: Um, How about your family? Are they supportive of your work?
1: Uh, Yes, of course. (laughs) I I just uh, talked with my father before I talked to you. And he said that he's heard from uh, his cousin that she saw me on TV. And my father said it was so important that people that don't share my views see me on TV. So yes. I I get support and uh, of course my partner is very supportive. Sometimes he gets mad at me that I'm tweeting in (laughs) midnight, but (laughs) apart from that, he believes in what I believe and uh, is very proud. So uh, I'm very lucky to be surrounded with support.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, Let's say like, that you, I remember. Let's put it this way: What kind of advice would you give young activists or the youngsters that you talk to them in high school? Let's say you go, you went talk to them, you change their mind, and now they come to you as like, okay, I am interested in activism, but I don't know, you know, what to do, or I'm scared. So what kind of advice
1: do you give to them, or would you give to them? First, I'd give. I say to them that this is a long journey and uh, you need to protect yourself and don't burn all your resources. It's a short time, it's it's a long distance marathon. Mm -hmm. You have to combine uh, your uh, life with your political activity. You must have this strong uh, environment around you of, interests and friends and family and not uh, live entirely in the battlefield. (laughs) And also learn, learn a lot, meet as many people older and wiser and more expert in the thing that you're interested in and uh, hear from them, their views, their understandings, because there is so much to learn all the time and don't make up your mind at a specific point. It, it, it can be changed. It can be shaped. Uh, it's a long journey. Mm-hmm.
0: And then what kind of, I was wondering, talking about, you know, meeting people who are wiser and have more experience to talk to them. Do you have any intellectual influences or people that had a major Impact on the way you think and you lead the organization and kind of
1: understand your activism? In my organization specifically, I am standing on the shoulders of giants because this organization, Peace Now, was uh, founded 43 years ago. It's older than me. Mm -hmm. And some of the founders are still in my board of directors. So I can consult with them and I can learn from them whenever I want. Mm -hmm. And I think they did major change in Israeli perception and and also political culture. Mm -hmm. And, And it shaped a lot the way that the organization still acts today. On the other hand, it's always important to intrigue that to, to 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 try and challenge those uh, visions and hear from other organizations from uh, researchers and uh, activists that uh, act on in in different passes I mean lately I found myself consulting with uh, legal experts on the best way to challenge occupation in Supreme Court and the way to frame the international changes in regard to our uh, violations of international law. Uh, There are many processes that are happening now, such as the investigation in Hague and the changes Mm -hmm. around the world in uh, political uh, powers. Mm -hmm. And we have to see how we can uh, use them. to to help us change what is happening here. Mm -hmm. And for that, I I consult with many experts uh, that have different visions and it's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. I will not go into specific names, but as I said, it's a journey and the uh, reality is constantly changing. So we have to also change our methods. I hope this answers your question. It's very vague, but uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, Then I just want to give you time now at the end um, to add anything that you want to add or
1: talk about uh, before we end. Yes, I'll say first this. I'm happy to see more and more women joining the circles of activism. Mm -hmm. The fact that we are two women discussing these very, very... Grave political issues is not taken for granted and it wouldn't happen some years ago. And I see more and more women around also the decision-making tables. And I really hope and believe that this will be a major factor in change of reality that women will lead things differently and we'll choose different ways to to solve the very complex uh, situation that we're in. And this is another aspect of, of an importance of us doing what we do, that we, we do it, that, that we are present in those discussions, in those rooms, in these uh, media channels, in those researches. Uh, and we bring the, the point of view for me, as I can talk about myself as a feminist, Mm -hmm. I I think that it helped me shape the way I think of activism in general and of the possible solution in particular.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you for um, adding that, because I wanted to ask you actually about feminism and if it's central to your work, but (laughs) you just answered the question that it is very central to the way that
1: you work on these issues. Mainly to the way that I think and the way that I direct my organization. Mm -hmm. And how does that influence the way you direct the organization? A much more flat construction of power. I give a lot of space to my colleagues Mm -hmm. and also I consult a lot and cooperate a lot with other organizations and uh, partners outside of the organization, Mm -hmm. Um, understanding that the the common uh, goal is more important that, than than ego and uh, that no one in particular holds the one and only way to do things. It's okay that each one acts in their field and their strength, and we can use each other's strengths and not try to over to to shadow each other. I think we can help each other. I think it's I, I learned this when I uh, when I was in this uh, feminist organization that uh, that constructions of power can lead different constructions of power can lead to different realities and we must be aware of them and practice them.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. That's a great description and I'm sure uh, your colleagues appreciate this uh, management style if you can call it management style. <laughs> um I want to thank you again for, you know, sharing your story and your thought process with us. Um, And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I want to thank you. Bye, Shakir. Bye-bye.